It is the harvest moon. On gilded veins and roofs of villages, on woodland crests and their actual neighborhoods of nests, deserted on the curtained window panes of rooms where children sleep, on country lanes and harvest fields, its mystic splendor rests. Gone are the birds that were our summer guests. With the last sheaves return the laboring wains. All things are symbols. The external shows of nature have their image in the mind as flowers and fruits and falling of the leaves. The songbirds leave us at summer's close. Only the empty nests are left behind and the pipings of the quail amid the sheaves. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of Shubun, or Autumn Equinox, spanning from September 22nd to October 8th. During this mini-season, the summer thunderstorms recede the insects begin their preparation for winter, and the rice paddies are drained for the harvest. Everywhere, change is about us. The season of the autumn equinox is preceded by the mini-season White Dew, and followed by the mini-season of Cold Dew. Days and nights are imbalanced during the autumn equinox, but by the time this mini-season draws to a close, We feel the wheel of the year turn its inevitable turn as our descent towards the winter solstice begins. As in every season, there's lots to explore. So, with the hope of bountiful days ahead, let's head out. On the lofty hill and turn your eyes around where waving woods and waters wild do hymn an autumn sound the summer sun is faint on them the flowers depart sit still as all transformed to stone except your musing heart the days are getting shorter and cooler and my heart is indeed musing With the coming of autumn, I feel perhaps more than in any other season, a shift towards introspection. There are still plenty of things to do outdoors. There are garden preparations for winter, and we're going to talk about attending festivals and other gatherings. But after all this, fall is a time where we return to our hearths and homes, and begin spending more time inside. It's natural that our thoughts turn inward as well. Friedrich Nietzsche wrote, I notice that autumn is more the season of the soul than of nature. Autumn is certainly a season one can feel within. It's the time of year when our fruitful labors begin to turn towards rest. 
I think there is no better example of this transition from outdoor, externally motivated activities to indoor, introspective activities than the harvest season. In fact, harvest is a wonderful kigo or seasonal word for this time of year. You know, when we were talking about this episode, you said something I thought was interesting. In the past few episodes, it seems, we have been talking about our personal relationship with the land, or perhaps our gardens in particular. Yet the notion of the harvest, while certainly just as personal, also carries a broader feeling to it, conjuring up feelings of societies or groups of people. It's true. While we can all harvest our vegetable gardens on our own, harvesting fields and fields of crops was definitely a group activity especially before the days of modern agricultural machinery. You know, when I think of the harvest season, my thoughts often turn to the painting by Bruegel the Elder. Everyone is working together in the harvest field, and maybe even sneaking in a nap under a tree. You and your naps, Alexis. <laughs> but yes, with such a large quantity to harvest, the old adage of many hands make light work seems apt here. Listeners, we'll post this picture to our website for you to check out. This reminds me of the quote by Elizabeth Ann Seton. When so rich a harvest is before us, why do we not gather it? All is in our hands if we will but use it. Well then, with the harvest in mind this mini-season, let's discover for ourselves the many harvest traditions during this time of year. We'll be keeping our conversation limited to the Northern Hemisphere, the places that would traditionally welcome harvest in September, October, and November. You know, the word agriculture is derived from the Latin agar, which means field, and cultura, tilling, while the name for cereals is derived from Latin cerealis, pertaining to Ceres, the Roman goddess of vegetation. We'll be talking a lot about cereals this episode grain-bearing grasses that include barley, buckwheat, maize, millet, oats, rice, rye, wheat, and more. With such a long history and important place in the lives and livelihoods of our ancestors, it's no wonder that cereals have an incredibly rich history, culture, and tradition. Let's begin our exploration of folklore with this poem. We'll stroke the gentleman with our naked sword. Wherewith we shear meadows and fields, we shear princes and lords. If the gentleman will stand beer and brandy, the joke will soon be over. But if our prayer he does not like, the sword has the right to strike. Ooh, what a fascinating verse. But, oh dear, rather bloody. Who exactly is the gentleman? He sounds like he is in trouble. In this poem, the gentleman is the stranger, who represents the spirit or deity of agriculture, sometimes known as the corn spirit. Catching, driving away, or killing the corn spirit to ensure the harvest is an idea found in many societies. Listeners, we should note that in this case, the word corn is not necessarily the corn-on-the-cob popcorn we all know and love. Instead, the word corn, in this context, is a generic word for plants such as wheat, oats, and barley that can be used to produce flour. 
Corn Spirit is definitely a good Kigo then for this time of year. Definitely. The death and resurrection of the corn spirit and its importance to agriculture is as old as history itself and comes in many forms. I know that Demeter, the Greek goddess of agriculture, has a strong association with harvest lore. Sometimes Demeter is associated with the corn mother in European societies, and when the wind blows through the field, some say, here comes the corn mother, or the corn mother is going through the field. Yes, the spirits were alive and well in these types of beliefs, something connected to everyday life and seen through natural phenomena. The corn spirit itself is thought to be living in the field and at harvest time is ritually captured or killed, often through cutting down the last sheaf standing. This ritual, the cutting down of the sheaf, was an act of great celebration symbolizing the prosperity of the harvest. Last night, the reapers from their harvest home sang and stored the full garners with grain. The woods and the echoes with merry sounds rang as they bore the last sheaf from the plain. Sometimes it can be just a matter of days between when the corn spirit is looked upon with delight or loathing. In Scotland, a common tradition was to make a figurine out of the last sheath of corn. If this corn was cut before All Saints Day on November 1st, then it was known as the Maiden. Then again, if it was cut after this day, it would be known as the Old Woman. And what about if the grain was harvested after sunset? Well, then it was known as the witch, and supposedly brought bad luck. The maiden, the old woman, and the witch. Three great Kigo for the season. Let's get in the harvest spirit even more with this traditional song from England called The Repook and the Sickle, especially performed for us by Larry Piper. Come, all ye lads and lassies, together let us go into some pleasant cornfield, our courage for to show. With a good old leathern bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. With a reap hook and a sickle, so well we'll clear the land. The farmer says, well done, my lads, here's liquor at your command. With a good old leathern bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. By daylight in the morning, when birds do sweetly sing, they are such charming creatures, they make the valley ring. With a good old leathern bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. Then in comes lovely Nancy, the corn all for today. She is my charming creature, I must begin to pray. See how she gathers it, she binds it, she folds it in her arms. Then gives it to the wagoner to fill the farmer's barns. With a good old leather bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. 
Now harvest unintended, the corn secure from harm. How far to go to market, boys, we must thresh in the barn. With the good old leather bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. Here's a health to all you farmers, likewise to all you men. I wish you health and happiness till harvest comes again. With a good old leathern bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. With a good old leathern bottle and the beer, it shall be brown. We'll reap and skip together, boys, till bright Phoebus does go down. Thank you, Larry, so much for that wonderful performance. Returning to the idea of the corn spirit, the deity can also take animal forms depending on the culture. The spirit could be a dog, hare, rooster, goose, cat, goat, ox, pig, and horse. There are all sorts of interesting phrases about corn spirit animals. For example, if a reaper took ill on the field, people might say, the rye wolf has got hold of him, or the harvest goat has given him a push. The role of the corn spirit continues even past the harvest. In Scandinavia, the corn spirit is often a pig, and there's a custom to bake a loaf of bread in the shape of a boar, called the Yule boar. The bread is often made with flour from the last sheaf of corn, and is thought to bring good luck. Listeners, have you ever noticed Scandinavian ornaments or decorations made of straw? This is connected to the corn spirit and good luck. Tis but a thing of straw, they say, yet even straw can sturdy be, plated into a doll like me. And in the days of long ago, to help the seeds once more to grow, I was an offering to the gods, a very simple say indeed, of asking them to intercede, that barn and granary o'erflow at harvest time with fruit and corn to fill Amalthea's horn. No matter the place in the world, the harvest went hand in hand with song. Let's listen to perhaps one of the most famous Western songs about the harvest, John Barleycorn. As you may have guessed, John Barleycorn is a personification of the corn spirit in the English tradition. Let's listen to this performance by Annie Patterson and Peter Blood of Rise Up and Sing, Hope and Change Through Song. There were three men Come out of the west, their fortunes for to try. And these three men made a solemn vow, John Barleycorn should die. They plowed, they sowed, they harrowed him in, threw clods upon his head. And these three men made a solemn vow, John Barleycorn was dead. i 
mystical song. Here to talk with us a little bit more about it is Peter Blood and Annie Patterson of Rise Up and Sing from a pre-recorded interview from earlier this month. We're here with Annie Patterson and Peter Blood to discuss singing, seasons, and the seasons of life. Annie, Peter, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So let's jump right into it. In this episode, we're exploring the harvest season and culture, and a big part of this tradition is the harvest song. Why do you think songs and the harvest went hand in hand? Well, I think if we're looking back at a lot of different cultures, the harvest was a time of change, and anytime any sort of transition was happening, it was one, it was a chance for communities to come together and to knit themselves together for the reason of, you know, just being a community, a strong community. And the other thing is anytime we have transition, I think you'll find the different kinds of transitions in life, like, you know, death and dying or having children or the seasons. There's a parallel between songs about the seasons and either mourning or celebration. Also, harvesting is often done uh, communally. That is, people harvest work together. I worked for about eight years as a harvester 
uh, I harvested apples on communal apple picking crews of young Quakers uh, that like to go out and harvest. It seemed like a, a nice, peaceful way to earn money in the, around the time of the Vietnam War. And uh, we actually sang one of the songs in Rise Up Singing in the in the fields, or in the orchards, rather, uh, called The Apple Picker's Reel. And it's a song that kind of describes the different steps of apple picking in a rather accurate way. The person who wrote it obviously had picked apples. And so that was just one example of people who were actually harvesting together, singing together. But there are other, a few other songs in our books, probably in the Farm and Prairie or perhaps the Outdoors chapters, that talk about this kind of uh, act of people working together and using the, uh, the theme of the, you know, what you're doing to uplift your spirits as you're working communally. The apple harvest is something we talk about in this episode, but something I hadn't thought about at the time was how much song would be a part of that, and in other traditions too, how as the harvest would be happening, there would also be singing. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, that no matter what tradition we look at, there are probably songs and music related to that. So I was thinking about, you know, all the stories I've heard from Peter of uh, climbing the apple trees and who could be the fastest picker. But there are also the stories of like after the apple picking was done, going back and, and having, you know, uh, dinner together and, um, you know, telling stories and all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of that is uh, somewhat lost in the uh, United States culture. And, and in a lot of the cultures today, um, we have people working at computer all day long or perhaps listening to, um, you know, Spotify or iTunes, but not necessarily going outside and being with the earth. And so I think that if we can sing together, even if it's songs about a time when people did it, it kind of grounds us. It, it helps us find our roots and we can sink our feet into the ground. And what Peter and I do with making our songbooks and leading singing around around the world really is all about helping people ground themselves and remember who they were and also honor the struggles of people who came before us, the folks we're standing on the shoulders of. So in that sense, it brings all these harvest songs um, right to the present day, like ways we can use harvest songs to um, remind us that the earth is underneath our feet, so to speak. <laughs> I guess we should have started with this question, but Annie and Peter, can you share with our listeners a bit more about Rise Up Singing and your career? Rise Up Singing is a songbook that Peter and I put together in 1988, and it's sold over a million copies around the world. Um, people sing out of it in all kinds of places, not just in the United States. It's traveled to Russia and Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's 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 made its way all around um, a lot of different places. And what we did with Rise Up Singing, and then we made a sequel called Rise Again, is we tried to put as many songs as we could into a volume um, that's lyrics and guitar chords. And the idea was that people could use this book when they were sitting around a campfire 
or having a family gathering or you know, um, all kinds of different places where people could come together and really um, kind of honor the Pete Seeger tradition of getting people to sing together as a form of building community and also a, as a way of reaching out beyond our differences. One of the things that we uh, do, which I think works very well with the books, is that they're grouped by theme. So uh, teachers or people organizing concerts, using music in different ways, uh, can find songs pretty easily on specific themes, such as harvest songs uh, are in maybe the farm chapter or in the uh, time and changes chapter or the outdoors chapter. And um, there are also different kinds of cross-reference indexes this helps people to find songs that connect them around specific subject matter so that a teacher, for instance, can so find songs uh, that could be used in her classroom or his classroom uh, for helping the children to enter a certain subject matter in a way which takes them a little deeper because they're singing songs about the subject that they're considering. Um. You know, one of the things that's so unusual about Peter and myself is that we know thousands of songs. And so sometimes people don't realize that when they when they meet us. Um, they know we put together a couple songbooks, but they don't know what was involved in it. And and um, and we're constantly trying to learn new songs, you know, because the world's changing so quickly and there's so many great artists out there, hip hop artists, pop artists, um, uh, indie folk artists, um, people like Anais Mitchell and, and others that we have, you know, sort of watched from afar grow into these incredible, uh, artists. I mean, we just found out the other day that, Anais Mitchell grew up on Rise of Singing, which blew us away. So there's just this um, this wealth of song knowledge, and sometimes it's really a cool thing, and other times it's really hard. Like when you asked us, <laughs> what what songs are, do we know about the harvest? <laughs> We've been talking about songs and how they relate to human connection. And of course, here on Season by Season, we're all about the seasons. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts or stories you'd like to share about song and seasons. Just in terms of the season, when fall comes around, I tend to be the person who's really sad because I love summer. <laughs> and so anything that can get me kind of in the mood for the change of seasons is really good. And Peter reminding us of, you know, the Apple Picker song. Um, there's there's a lot of great songs that honor the earth and honor um, just the, the notion of being outside. And lately, one of the things that I've found is I've just wanted to go outside and just, you know, just take a walk, just look at the trees and look at nature. And it's not so much about what song comes to mind. Um, it's more about just getting a chance to look at the trees and remind myself that I'm, I'm part of this, uh, this, you know, crazy planet. 
Yes, indeed. I think we and our listeners understand that need to get outside and connect. Well, our interview is drawing to a close, and I wonder if you and Peter might have a parting message or any final thoughts that you would like to share with us. I really want to encourage people not just to listen to music, which is really wonderful because, you know, artists need to be supported and music needs to be appreciated, but to find ways to weave it into their lives while they're working. Um, One memory I have was washing dishes at a camp that I worked at. We always sang songs while we were washing dishes. And a couple of years ago, we were leading a retreat and I went back to help with washing dishes at this conference center and I started singing, but nobody knew any of the songs. I couldn't believe it. They were there for a singing retreat, but they didn't know any of these great songs that we used to sing. So I had to you know, teach them, but I do think we're losing our memory of what music can be for us. And I just want to encourage people to, to reclaim that, no matter what anybody told you, reclaim it as a way to help you get through the day and to be part of your community. Thank you so much. If you are up for it and would like to sing something for us, we would be delighted to hear you. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of a different song of... Uh, this song is a song that is written to give us a sense of connection to the um, experience of people, indigenous peoples often living very close to the land in a kind of pre-Western cultures. All right, this is a short song. This song is called In My Bones. It was written by Nancy Schimmel. There once was a time when people were gentle. We talked to the trees and were never alone. And all that we owned were our baskets and digging sticks. I still remember it in my bones. And sometimes we quarreled, and then we forgot it. For all to keep living, we needed each one. And all that we owned was the skill in our fingers. I still remember it in my bones we never had locks so our lives were not hidden our tears and our laughters were shared all around and all that we owned were our dreams and our stories i still remember it in my Wow. What a powerful and haunting song. Annie, thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. Thank you. Peter and Annie, thank you so much again for joining us today on Season by Season. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Peter and Annie's work and rise up and sing, please check out our website at seasonbyseason.org. 
Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Peter and Annie, you can find information on our website, seasonbyseason.org. If you want to listen to their song again, we'll have it featured on our page too. Listening to this music really puts me in the harvest spirit. Here in North America, our modern harvest traditions are, of course, informed by older traditions. Attending a harvest festival in the United States, one sees things like grange displays of fruits and vegetables, jams and preserves, arts and crafts often featuring ingredients of the seasons, and activities like cider pressing. These are all things that celebrate the bounty of the harvest and have the practical purpose of preparing to weather winter. You know, Alexis, when I've attended harvest festivals here in California, I've often felt much closer to both nature and the community around me afterwards. I think I understand what you mean, Kit. The harvest, in a way, reminds us that we are all creatures, vulnerable to nature. In preparing for the winter, we remind ourselves of our humanity and that we are safest when working together as part of a community. It's a good thing to be reminded of, and something I think we tend to forget nowadays, when we can buy everything we need at a supermarket. I believe the harvest reminds us of our human need for expressing gratitude as well. Yes, harvest festivals are inextricably linked with Thanksgiving. Here's a hearty harvest scene from American author Harriet Beecher Stowe. The king and high priest of all the festivals was the autumn Thanksgiving. When the apples were all gathered and the cider was all made, and the yellow pumpkins were rolled in from many a hill and billows of gold, and the corn was husked, and the labors of the season were done, and the warm, late days of Indian summer came in, dreamy and calm, with just enough frost to crisp the ground of a morning, but with traces of benignant sunny hours at noon, there came over the community a sort of genial repose of the spirit, a sense of something accomplished. Speaking of Thanksgiving, the first nationally recognized Thanksgiving Day in the United States was actually on October 3rd. This lines up much more closely with when the harvest would actually be celebrated. By late November, there really isn't much left to harvest. President Lincoln moved the Thanksgiving holiday to November during the Civil War, and it actually wasn't until 1942 that President Roosevelt officially announced that the fourth Thursday in November was Thanksgiving Day. I think many Americans still believe a mythology around the first Thanksgiving as having its foundations in a harvest feast between the Puritans of Plymouth and the Wampanoag people in 1621. In fact, as with many historical events, the truth is much more complicated. The Wampanoag people do not share a reverence for this first Thanksgiving. The harvest and giving thanks were already a part of their culture for thousands of years before the Puritans arrived. Not only that, but for the Puritans too. Celebrating the harvest was something done in the old world, and not really an original or new idea. Of course, some changes were made in America, but the idea of the first Thanksgiving in America has certainly been fictionalized over the years. To say a little bit more about Native American harvest traditions, the Wampanoag people and other people of the Eastern Woodlands 
would celebrate harvest time in what is now August through October. During this bountiful time, abundant foodstuffs were gathered and harvested, such as acorns, beans, berries, corn, fish, grapes, peas, pecans, peppers, potatoes, pumpkins, sassafras, squash, sunflowers, sweet potatoes, walnuts, wild rice, just to name a few. Many of these items were indigenous to the New World. As much food as possible would be preserved by being sun-dried and hung in lodges or buried in food stores to prepare for the coming winter. The harvest time was also an ideal time to prepare homes for winter as well. Cattails, moss, and birch bark were collected to be used as insulation or to make home repairs during the coming months. Meanwhile, further south, where winters tend to be milder, the indigenous peoples of the southeastern woodlands would celebrate giving thanks for the harvest in the annual Green Corn Ceremony. This celebration is about both Thanksgiving and new beginnings as part of the yearly corn harvest. Historically, the celebration would begin with a period of fasting and praying, followed by several days of dancing, music, and feasting. The Green Corn Ceremony is celebrated to this day by the Yuchi, Iroquois, Cherokee, Choctaw, Seminole, and others. Each of these tribes has their own variations on the celebrations, but some share traditions like fasting before feasting each year. Puritans who settled in North America did develop some harvest festival traditions of their own. For example, they would hold apple bees. Apple bees? I recognize these words individually, but... Not bees like our friendly garden bumblebees. Bee in this case refers to a gathering, like a quilting bee or a spelling bee. Oh, I see. At an apple bee, farmers would set out full barrels and baskets of apples in the center of the farmhouse, and with the help of their friends and neighbors, pair and quarter all of the apples. These apples could then be used in recipes, made into cider, or dried and stored for winter. Ah, we did mention cider pressing before. Apple cider seems like another good Kiko for this season. Back home in England, the Puritans would have witnessed wassailing traditions, where farmers would go into orchards with mulled apple cider and splash the roots of the apple trees to encourage next year's harvest. Naturally, liberal cider drinking was usually involved. I can see how that would be a bit wild for those New England Puritans. Exactly. Apple bees were much more tame. Yet, it's interesting to me that as much as Puritans were trying to escape the pagan roots of their religious holidays, so many of those roots were still able to survive and inspire what we now consider American traditions. Apples and apple pie are classical symbols of Mabon, or the second harvest. In our last episode, we talked a bit about Lamas, or Loaf Mass, which is the first harvest, celebrating the harvesting of crops. Mabon, the second harvest, takes place at the autumn equinox and celebrates the crops being prepared and safely stored away. 
This harvest was an important moment for the community. There is a sense of safety and well-being in having the harvest stored away in the barn. More than celebrating the abundance of the harvest, it's celebrating knowing that the harvest yield is taken care of and will be enough. That the family will be well-fed through winter. Again, we have the sense of the community coming together to give thanks. Keep high the farmer's wintry hoard, keep high the golden corn. No richer gift has autumn poured from out her lavish horn. Let other lands exulting glean the apple from the pine, the orange from its glossy green, the cluster from the vine. We better love the hardy gift our rugged vales bestow, to cheer us when the storm shall drift our harvest fields with snow. We've explored some of the origins of Thanksgiving and how it relates to the autumn harvest. Let's take a look at harvest festivals in other parts of the world. In Korea, the holiday of Chuseok, or Autumn Eve, is a major harvest festival. It's observed for three days around the autumn equinox. Chuseok celebrates a good harvest, which is attributed to the blessings of ancestors. During Chuseok, families visit their ancestral homes and clean the tombs of their immediate ancestors. Offerings are made, which commonly constitute freshly harvested rice and fruits and vegetables. In some ways, Chuseok sounds similar to the Mid-Autumn Festival in China. Well, yes. It takes place at the same time, the autumn equinox, and celebrates the harvest. It's also related to autumn equinox celebrations in Japan. Ah uh, yes, naturally we have to talk about the autumn equinox in Japan. Well, autumn equinox day, or shubun no hi, is a national holiday in Japan. Like Chuseok, it's a time to pay respect to one's ancestors. Shubun no hi is specifically the day of the equinox. But the period around both autumnal and vernal equinoxes is known as Higan. Higan encompasses the three days before the equinox and the three days after. There's a saying in Japan that goes, both heat and cold end with Higan. Higan translates to the other side of the river of death. In Buddhist tradition, the souls of the departed dwell on the other side of the river from where we live. Listeners, you may remember in our Beginning of Autumn episode from August 2020, we discussed Obon, the time when the souls of the ancestors come to visit the living. Higan may be thought of as our turn to visit them. During Higan, offerings of flowers and food are made at the graves of deceased family members, and incense is burned. Interestingly, there are very specific flowers associated with the autumn equinox, so much so that their name is Higanbana, Higan flower. In old countryside graveyards, you'll often find crimson flowers brightly glistening in the autumn sun. They stand tall and erect, their bold red a contrast against the fading grass. Everywhere, there are ancestor spirits. Everywhere, there are spider lilies. In English, they're known as the red spider lily, Lycoris or cluster amaryllis. Often planted along rice fields, their deep red flowers against the ripening rice make for a beautiful contrast. Up into the sky, a penetrating azure, red spider lily. 
Now, Japan's own corn spirit is alive and well, although this time it's the spirit of the rice paddy. The deity is called Tanokami, or the god of the rice field. The Tanokami cult is at the heart of Japanese rural folklore. After all, in Japan, rice is more than just a staple. It's imbibed with a sacred reverence and deep cultural significance. In many regions in Japan, Ta no Kami is actually thought to transform throughout the year. During the winter months, the gods reside in the mountains as Yama no Kami, gods of the mountains. In spring, summer, and fall, they move from the mountain down to the field and become Ta no Kami, watching over the rice crop until the harvest is over. Listeners, if this sounds familiar, you may remember in our March 2021 Wintering Insects Awake episode that we discussed the otherworldly nature of mountains in Japan and the mystical gods thought to reside there. Ta no Kami can take other forms as well. In Shinto legends, rice gods known as Inari are identified with the august spirit of food. Inari come in many forms, including as a bearded man riding a white fox, or as a woman with long flowing hair carrying sheaves of rice. Here are a few harvest haiku. In the drained fields, how long and thin the legs of the scarecrow. Gleaning the rice field, they work toward the sunny places. More popularly known today are the messengers of Inari, the foxes. They are known as tricksters with a benevolent streak. At Inari shrines, offerings of rice and sake are ritually provided. Another popular offering is Inari Zushi, sweetened rice wrapped in deep fried tofu. Deep fried tofu is considered one of the fox's favorite foods in Japan. Some even say that Inari Zushi look like fox's ears. Now, here to tell us more about the unique landscape of the rice harvest is our special contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, written by Hiroaki Sato and narrated by Ed von Adderkass. The water dries up for the first time. The seasonal term this time is Mizu Hajimete Karuru. The water dries up for the first time. This is one of the 72 pentads, that is,、uh, 360 days of the year by the lunar calendar, are broken up into 72 groups, each made up of five days. Now, these pentads, like the 24 solar terms, were created in ancient China. So, the original word for this particular pentad is Shui Shihei. This may work as a kigo and haiku in Chinese because it only consists of three syllables. In Japanese, it doesn't work. Japanese is a polysyllabic language, and the pentad comes out as Mizu Hajimete Kareru, or nine syllables, which means the expression takes up more than half of the 17 syllables of the standard haiku. As a result, it's rarely, if ever, used. So if you look up Mizu Hajimete Kareru as a kigo, you'll find it replaced with something like Hagi. Often translated as bush clover, which is a very popular word for autumn. For that matter, shui shihei appears to have originally meant something like things begin to dry up, but when introduced into Japan, it came to mean something like 
waterlogged rice paddies are drained for the first time. For a while, from 1954 to 1956, my family lived in Fukuoka, near the southern end of the University of Kyushu, and to the east of where we lived, across a river, there were, in those days, rice paddies. In the fall, we boys went out to the rice paddies, now drained of water, and we dug the drying paddy, and to our surprise found dojo, which are loaches, in the mud. Dojo, which in Chinese characters mean muddy catfish, do not grow larger than six inches long, but they are traditionally scooped up for food as a summer delicacy. However, what we found were immobilized in the heartening mud, as if for hibernation. Back home, I asked my mother to cook them, still alive of course, with tofu. I had heard that when live loaches were cooked with tofu, they'd wriggle into the tofu as the heat rose. I watched, but nothing of the sort happened. They just died. So dojo, muddy catfish, is a summer kigo. Rice paddies after harvest is, however, definitely a kigo for autumn. Basho's contemporary, Uejima Onitsura, who lived from 1661 to 1738, famous for equating haiku with zen, wrote, As I walk away, paddies, after harvest, open up. Hino Sojo, lived from 1901 to 1956, who provoked the ire of the rigid traditionalist Takahama Kyoshi, lived from 1874 to 1959, by writing haiku suggesting eroticism, wrote this piece on harvested patties. The road darkening. To right, to left, patties after harvest. Though water may be drying up, let's enjoy the remaining simple joys of the harvest season. And so, with the harvest in mind, we welcome a new phase of life, a new phase of community, a new phase of the year. We end this episode with a poem written by Porfirio Figueroa on September 6, 2021, a day that marks the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Awakening Dawn and I am completely still, weightless, in that space where dreams drift away quietly in the moments of daybreak. My sense is aware something stirs as the morning comes, bending the light softly to whisper a new day. Imperceptibly, energy breezes in the treetops, a dance that proclaims nature's presence before high noon. There is a change in that first cool day that follows a long summer's heat. A time to listen and watch the differences fall brings in the parallels to cycle life. The afternoon of recognition. A shift in paradigm. Awake. Prepare before day's end. Bounty comes before winter's night.
Thank you for joining us during this season of the Autumn Equinox. It was a bumper crop this mini-season. This season, some of the Kigo we covered are Harvest, Harvest Home, The Green Corn Ceremony, Giving Thanks, Apple Cider and Apple Bees, Mabon, Chusok, Higan, Tanokami, Inari, Corn Spirit, The Stranger, The Maiden, The Witch, The Old Woman, Corn Mother, Corn Animal Spirits, and John Barleycorn. Listeners, what are some other seasonal words you associate with this mini-season? Email your Kiko to our email address, seasonbyseasonpodcast at gmail.com, or feel free to leave a comment on our Facebook page. By the way, you can always listen to old episodes, revisit favorite poems, and take a look at visual examples of Kigo on our website, seasonbyseason.org, a special permanent home for our podcast and all things seasonal. On this episode, you heard poems and prose by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Anne and Jane Taylor, Adelaide O'Keefe, Minnie Lambeth, Harriet Beecher Stowe, John Greenleaf Whittier, Morio Suzume, Yamanashi Seishi, Yosobu Son, Kobayashi Isa, and Porfirio Figueroa. The poems featured in this podcast are in the public domain or used with permission from their creators. If you are interested in learning more about the corn spirit, we recommend checking out The Golden Bough by James George Fraser, which proved of great use in researching this episode. We would like to thank our poetry readers for this episode. Andrew Littlejohn, Gail Wine, Stuart Diamond, Porfirio Figueroa, Chris Whitaker, Cyrus Lanthier, Bernabe Ted Costales, and Nikki. We would also like to extend an extra special thanks to all the musical contributions we had this episode. Just like The Harvest, this episode was truly a community effort. Thank you very much to harpist Shelley Otis, musician Larry Piper, folk band Roma Ransom, and Annie Patterson and Peter Blood of Rise Up and Sing. We will have information about all these artists on our website. And if you're hankering for more Harvest tunes, be sure to check out our Spotify companion playlist available on our website. As always, special thanks once again to Hiroaki Sato and Ed von Atterkass for their contribution to this episode. In the 5th century BCE, Euripides wrote, The best and safest thing is to keep a balance in your life. Acknowledge the great powers around us and in us. If you can do that and live that way, you really are wise. During the autumn equinox, we hope you'll find that balance in your life, whether it comes through giving thanks for the harvest, paying tribute to your ancestors, or reconnecting with humanity at a local festival. And however you choose, enjoy the bounty of the harvest season. As the crisp air of autumn arrives, we hope that you will join us for our next episode, First Frost. See you in another season.